This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey everybody, uh, we're back. It's uh, Wednesday and uh, we're in our verse-by-verse Bible studies. Good to have you with us. Uh, and we're going to pick up where we left off. We're in the Old Testament letter of Ruth. It's a very rich book of relationship and romance and redemption and parallels the relationship of Jesus Christ and his salvation to mankind, especially to the Gentiles like myself. And um, you can go back and watch all of these, and they're all in consecutive order there for you. But uh, we're going to pick up in verse 10. But the message today, the way I'm going to pull out some things in here, it's going to be called, um, We Attract What We Are. In other words, likes attract likes. And this is a very important principle to remember in relationships and personal development. Um, I think most of us have seen two people come together in a relationship and they may get engaged or something. And we think to ourselves, that is a train wreck ready to happen. They neither are ready for this thing. Then we've seen that. But I think we've seen the other side too. We see two people come together and we think, oh my gosh, that's that's gonna be a successful relationship. You know, they both, you know, same page, character development, everything is there. And so we can rejoice over those things. And in both cases, likes attract likes. We we attract what we are. And that's a truth. It's a very big truth. So personal development is very important in your life because you want to attract someone who has developed personally, character-wise, and everything, but you got to be that person. The problem in relationships is that, and at least from my perspective, is that we are always looking for someone to be at a certain level, be the certain person, but we always leave out the our, us. We're the one who needs to develop. We're the one who needs to grow. We're the one who needs to face up to some, whatever the bad issues in our life, whatever the baggage is, and not always on somebody else. I mean, no, uh, you, you know, work on yourself and then watch the way the pieces roll out and what happens and I think you'll be a lot more satisfied that way. So, let's pick up at verse 10 in this romance that is developed and now it's culminating near the point of marriage um, between Boaz and Ruth. It says in verse 10, Then he said, uh, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. That's interesting, my daughter. We'll get to that in a second. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now you got to think about Boaz. He's a rich man. He really is. He's, he's successful. He's wealthy. He's got everything. He's got everything except one thing. Someone to pour out his love, his love upon and to share everything he's got. That's another picture of Jesus Christ. Because remember, Boaz is the redeemer in the story. Jesus Christ has everything. And he looked for someone to pour out his love and the things that he has upon them. He looked for you. And he looked for me. You might even say that's one reason why God created humans. Because God has everything. And he wants to pour out his love on someone, us humans. Because remember, God is love. And we love because he first loved us. And so never forget that when you get kind of a distorted image of God. Just remember, he loves you. He sought for you because he wants to pour out his love upon you. Never, ever forget that. Now, he calls her daughter. Now, why does he call her daughter? Well, because he's much older than her. 
He's in fact, he's really older than her. Um, he could be upwards of 25 years older, maybe more uh, than her. You know, not quite sure on that one, but he's older than this than this young woman. And so, as you look at that right there, you got to think about this. He never, ever, ever even thought that there would be a possibility of romance or marriage between this young, you know, good-looking gal and him, this older man. He never thought that in his life. In fact, um, I don't know if this plays into how old he is, but when they have their first child, Obed, the rabbis teach that Boaz dies right after that, right after the child is born, that he dies. So he's older. Now, let me give you an I think, and I think I'm right on this one. I think that Boaz, when he looks at her at his feet and basically he says, cover me, redeem me, she's saying, marry me, and she's this young girl, he's this older man. I think that he probably thought in his mind, I am blessed to have you. I don't think that he thought, well, because of everything he's got, you're blessed to have me, you younger lady. I don't think he thought that whatsoever. I think he thought, I'm blessed to have you. Now, let me tell you why I say that. Because I think that's important. What if in your relationships, in your marriage, what if you looked at that other person and said, you know what? I'm so blessed to have you. I'm so blessed to have you. Boy, that's healthy. And isn't that the way you really want to look at things, especially in your close-knit relationships? I'm so blessed to have you. I think that's a better way to look at things. Now, I like what he says there um, in verse 10 because it parallels something. But let me read a little bit of verse 10. He says, You have shown that your last kindness to be better than the first. Because she doesn't go after the younger guys. He says, your last kindness is better than your first kindness. In other words, you were of great character when I first met you. But your character and everything about you, it just gets better and better. Now, let's think about that and let's parallel that thing. Let's go to uh, John chapter 2, verse 10. It's the wedding of Cana, wedding at Cana. And Jesus is brought there, his mother gets there. and She's probably one of the helpers and servants, maybe a relative, who knows. And Jesus is there. And Jesus turns the water to wine. It's the first of his signs that he does. And, uh, and the wine that he creates out of water is really good stuff. And so watch what verse 10 says. <clears throat> and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. They're saying about this, he goes, because they don't know Jesus has turned the water to wine. They're saying, everybody serves the best stuff first, and at the end they serve the cheap stuff, you know, the not so good stuff. They said, but you serve the okay stuff first, good stuff, but you serve the great stuff at the end. It got better. Think about that. And it's in the context of a relationship here, too, a wedding at Cana. Isn't that just somewhat true of life? That, um, and I think maybe this is why some relationships go awry, go sour. Because we're humans, and we marry humans, and humans are frail, they are weak, they have flaws, I have flaws. And we can come off great, and everything right on the money, but as a person gets to know you or I, they're going to see the flaws in our life. They're going to see the things like, oh, I don't really like that about them. And so it can go from really good to not so good. But that's the opposite of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because with Jesus, 
You get the best at the end. He gets better and better and better and better and better. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? But I'll give you a little secret in relationships. Even though we're frail and weak and have faults, you follow Jesus, you commit to Him, you be conformed to the image of Christ, it'll get better and better and better and better. You don't have to conform to the world. You don't have to have this thing fall apart. It just gets better and better and better and better. Now, back to Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. He says this, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, this is where I want to talk on this verse that we attract what we are. Likes attract likes. Very important principle that I started off with as an introduction. But first, let me show you when he says, you are a woman of excellence. And everybody knows it. Now, if you look at Proverbs chapter 31, and some of you go, I know that chapter. That's the, um, the, this, the virtuous woman chapter. But Proverbs uh, 31, look at uh, in verse 10. It says, um, an excellent wife who can find for her worth is far above jewels. And the inference is, even though jewels are worth a lot, well, that ex an excellent wife, not just any wife, but an excellent wife, she's worth way more than that. And I like when he says, who can find? In other words, he's almost like saying, this is a, not the easiest thing in the world to find an excellent woman like that, an excellent wife. And there's so much description there why this woman is an excellent wife. Well. We find over here in Romans, uh, Ruth chapter 2, that um, Boaz says of her, everybody knows you're a woman of excellence. It's almost like he's saying everyone here knows that you're, uh, you're a Proverbs 31 woman. Everybody knows that. Now, here's what I want to point out, though, from this verse in um, Ruth 2.11. When he calls her a woman of excellence, it is the same, it's equivalent to what they've called in the Old Testament when they call one of these patriarchs a mighty man of valor, like say a Gideon, man of valor. Yeah, and let's hold that thought there, be like she's a woman of valor. Now watch this. In uh, Ruth chapter 2 and verse 1, it says this, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, they're talking about Boaz now, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name is Boaz. Now, when it calls him a man of great wealth, that is the literal idea also of a mighty man of valor. Now, when you put all these pieces together, which what I'm, what I'm pointing out to you is this. She's a woman of valor. He's a man of valor. In other words, they're the same. It's the same description. It's the same character. In other words, Likes attract likes. You attract what you are. So I have a question. Why is it that some people just keep picking the wrong person or the wrong people? It is one broken relationship after another. It's another broken heart, another broken heart, another broken heart. Can I just throw something out to you just without trying to offend anyone out there, <clears throat> I would ask a better question. And that is this. Who is the common denominator 
in all these broken relationships. It's me. It's you, if that's you. And so instead of looking at, oh, that person this, and they let me down, and that, that just turned out to be like my second husband or whatever the case may be, why don't you look at yourself and say, okay, wait a minute, I, I got to stop the show because I'm the common denominator in all of this. You see, I can get up, move, go somewhere else, start over, but who do I take with me? Me? So isn't it better to stop the show, slow everything down, say, okay, what needs to change in me? Because after likes, attract likes. Now, let me show you something from my favorite story in the Bible, the prodigal son. Look, look at Luke chapter 15. And if you follow my teaching at all or come to New Beginnings, you know Luke 15, prodigal son, is my favorite story. It's just... You know, it's hands and shoulders above all the rest for me. And Genesis chapter 3 is my second favorite story chapter in the Bible. But let me take a segment out of Luke 15 that says this. I'll read verses 15 through 19. The prodigal's left home. He's taken everything left daddy's gone. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He's blown all his money. He's blown everything. All his friends now deserted him in this far-off place. And now he's got to get a job, and he gets a job feeding pigs. And he's a Jewish boy. Verse 16. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. He wants to eat the pig's food. That's how hungry he is. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? In other words, he makes a comparison. In this case, the comparison's good. He's looking at his situation, and it is bad, and he's thinking what it was like back home. And when I was with Dad, even my dad has a business, he's got this going on, his hired servants are eating better than I'm eating. What am I doing? What have I done to my life? And that's what makes him start to come to his senses, starts to wake up. Watch verse 18. He says this, I will get up. And I like that because to me it, it makes the inference that um, he's lying there at night and just thinking about these things and he gets up. He's not even going to wait till morning. Hey, I'm going to just get up now. And I'm going to go to my father and I will say to him, I'm going to tell my dad this as I come home because I really, I, I just treated my dad bad. Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. So he's repenting before his father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he says these words. This is what he's going to tell dad. Make me as one of your hired men. I've always found that fascinating. That to come home, he thinks the best that he can have as he comes back to his father is, can you just give me a job? Give me a job as the lowest man on the totem pole employer. I know I can never be a son again. I can only be your employee. I, I, I understand that, Dad. That's all I, I, in my mind, that's all there is. Now, in the Dad's mind, are you kidding, son? You're my son. But wait a minute. Here's the big question. Where'd the boy learn that? Where'd the boy learn that all he could be is a hired servant? You back up four verses, verse 15. Out in the culture, out in the world, in a past relationship. He learned that all I am is a hired servant. And so when he comes back to dad, who's a picture of the heavenly father, he thinks all I can be is a hired servant. 
Let me tell you what that means. One application, I should say. <clears throat> He's got old thinking, stinking thinking. He is molded by the culture and he's carrying all the baggage with him. And because he thinks like that, he thinks this is all they'll ever be. This, this, is, this is what it is. This is, you know. But he's learned it incorrectly. And so he's living in a mindset that will, that's going to attract that. He's got to heal up. He's got to heal up the mindset. And what does the Father do as a picture of God? He starts the healing process. Some of us need to start the healing process. You may have been a Christian 30 years already. But you've never started the healing process of healing this temple of the Holy Spirit. And your mindset is wrong, and you make decisions off a wrong mindset, and you never develop character or the ability to pick a better person. And so it's one, um, uh, one um, blowout after one blowout, and you don't want that anymore. You want to start to heal up your life and heal up your emotions. And this may seem like a new concept to you, but it is not a new concept. It's an old concept that God wants to heal you. He doesn't want to just save you. He wants to heal you, my friends. Now, and always remember as you heal up like the son coming home, there's that brother in, that's not even going to come to the party. Remember him, his brother? And he's angry and he wants to keep his brother who's come home. He don't want him to heal up. He don't like the fact that he's going to be a son again. He wants to keep that, that guy down. And there will always be people that want to keep you down. They don't want you to change. You have decisions at that moment. You really do. You have decisions, will, will I go back down to that level or am I going to keep developing? And that's a decision everyone has to make. It will anger people at times when you don't follow old programs, dysfunctional programs, old baggage that you've learned in your past through bad relationship experiences um, to operate in a new relationship with God and heal up. I hope that made sense to plenty of you out there because, you know, like attract, attracts like. Now, let me get, go back to Ruth. <clears throat> Let me pull a few more thoughts out of verse 11. I, I think it's verse 11. Yeah, I'm in verse 11. Um, the first thing is I want to pull out there also is that all the people know she's a woman of excellence. Everybody knows. Everybody knows she's got a great reputation. That's a good thing, everyone. We want good reputations. Now, let me give you one more big thought. I like this one. Um, She's asleep at his feet, or she's laying at his feet. He's asleep. He wakes up, and she's basically, marry me, cover me with your, with your blanket there. <clears throat> it's dark. Nobody knows that she's there. And he says, you're a woman of excellence. Why is that so big in that moment? I'll tell you why. His thinking is pure. Okay, so what, Jim? Let me show you something. In your New Testament, there's this verse. It's in Titus chapter 1. Watch this. Titus chapter 1. And it's a great verse, verse 15. He says, Paul writing, he says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. No, no, okay, what are you talking about? To the pure, all things are pure. Boaz looks at the situation and he doesn't look at it like, oh, I, maybe we could have sex tonight. He doesn't think of it like that. He just says, 
Okay, but he's going to say, I re I'll redeem you. You're a woman of excellence. Where's his mind? Pure. Very pure mind. <clears throat> See, to the pure mind, all these situations are very pure. He's not going to read into something. She's not going to read into something. But to an impure mind, they're going to look at every situation as potential impurity. That's what they're going to do. Boaz has a pure mind in an impure world. Boy, that's a guy you want to marry, gals. Boy, this, he's the catch, man, right there. I like that about that guy. Now, back in uh, Ruth again, <clears throat> verse 12 says, this is, the bat. this is where, you know in a movie where everything's going good and all of a sudden, it's a low point, everything goes bad for a second. It's, this is, that's it, here it is, verse 12. Now, it is true I'm a close relative. He's telling me, he goes, you're right, I'm a close relative. I can read, however, there is a relative closer than I. What? You're bachelor number two? <laughs> that's, that's what it is. That's the bad news. I'm not bachelor number one. I'm bachelor number two. Now, he's telling her, look, we know the law says the closest relative redeems you, gets to marry you. I'm not the closest relative. There is a relative closer than I. You know what this means? It's another, another great quality of Boaz. Because he didn't sit there and say, well, I'm not going to tell her about my cl the closer relative. I got this young girl. She's 25 years younger, 30 years younger, whatever she is. She's good looking. I'm going to hide the fact that there's a near relative. I'm not going to let her know I'm bachelor number two. <laughs> and bachelor number one's out there. I'm not going to say anything like that. Forget God's law. Forget what it says in Deuteronomy. Forget all of it. I'm going to take her for myself. He doesn't do that. Wow. doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I am going to obey God's laws. Let me tell you what that means. <clears throat> he is saying, if this really is of God, I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to do that. Now, a couple things. You guys know I'm a backpacker. You know, and sometimes when you're climbing a, a mountain backpacking, you have these things called switchbacks. It just means the trail is switching back and forth as you're climbing and climbing and climbing. Now, one of the rules is, as you're switchbacking, you never cut through the middle of it like that and try to form a new trail. You stay on the existing trails. You never cut through because if you start cutting through, you start forming another trail. And water, as it comes down the trail, they've specifically placed these strong, these big rocks so they can control the water flow, the melt, snow melt, everything. You'll form another little gully river eventually and it'll erode. You'll erode the trails because you cut corners. You will mess things up little by little for the future. That's what happens when we cut corners. We erode things. Things, are, things as things progress, they get worse. See, we've got to stay on God's trail. Now, we know people in the Bible that cut corners, and we know people in the Bible that didn't cut corners. One of the guys that cut corners was Abraham and Sarah. Remember? God said, you're going to have a child. And boy, through this child, this, you'll be blessed, and your descendants will be as the sand on the seashore, the stars of the heaven. And they get impatient. And they're old, you know. 
I'm not going to sit there and harp on these people because they are old and wondering, well, how is this going to happen? They're waiting and waiting, and God said this. It's not happening. So Sarah comes up with a great idea. You know what? Maybe God meant that you're supposed to have a child through my maid, Hagar. That's a shortcut. And so what happens? Well, maybe that's it. So Abraham, he has sex with Hagar, the Egyptian maid, and they have a child. It's not the child of promise. And it's a mess. It causes problems in the family. And it has caused problems for the last 4,000 years in the Middle East, that moment in time. Why? They cut corners. They cut corners. Look, it's easy to cut corners. I mean, who hasn't cut a corner here and there? But you know what? It doesn't pay. It just doesn't pay off. Let me tell you somebody who didn't cut a corner, though it would be tempting to, was Jesus. Remember in the desert? Doesn't, the, doesn't Satan come up and say, hey, 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 come on, Jesus. You don't have to go to a cross. Look at, I'm going to take, let's go up to this high mountain. Sure, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give it all to you. But all you got to do is cut a corner. You just fall down and worship me right now. Come on, man. It is so much easier, quicker. We'll get it done. You get to be the king of the world and the whole thing like that. But what happens is if he cuts that corner, you and I are lost forever because he would have sinned. He doesn't cut the corner. Even though cutting the corner would have made his life a lot easier because he wouldn't have to go to a cross and endure such pain and cruelty and punishment or carry our sins which led to the separation from God the Father for a moment in time, which was the scariest moment for him on that cross. It doesn't cut corners. And you know, friends, as tempting as it is to cut a corner, <clears throat> don't cut corners. It's dangerous. I, we were sitting, my wife and I were sitting at an intersection about three weeks ago. And we're at red light. There's, we're going to go forward like this. And there's two other left turn lanes here. And, uh, and oh, I'm sorry. And we're pulling up. The, it's yellow light. And then it turns red. So we stop. And uh, we're like behind the first two cars like this. And... It's red light. I'm not kidding. A car comes like this fast, like to go in the left turn lane, and they shoot in the parking lot across that thing, the red light. They could have killed somebody. They could have absolutely killed somebody because they're just cutting corners, breaking laws, doing this. And that can happen when we break God's laws. And what's crazy about it is, is this. As in a hurry as they were to get ahead, do this, could have hurt everybody. My light finally turned green, got through a few red lights, and I catch them. They didn't make any extra time on me. I obeyed the laws. They didn't. They could have hurt somebody. Thank God they didn't. But they didn't make any extra time. See, you think you're making extra time. No, you're not. When we violate God's laws and cut corners, we're not making extra time, and we can hurt people in the process. Boaz is not going to cut corners. Boaz is going to do the right thing. There's, there's a closer relative on bachelor number two. And if it's God's will, it's going to be God's will. If it isn't, it isn't. Mm. Now, last thing, verse 13 and 14. He says, remain this night. Now he's given her instructions. Now she's asked uh, him to marry her, and he says, is a closer relative. He says, remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. We're going to find out in the morning if this near relative will redeem you. Great. If he does, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, if he doesn't want to marry you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she laid down at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. Meaning it's still a little bit dark before the sunrise came up. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. 
what in the world is going on with all this? Let me tell you, there's two great things that happen in that verse right there. Um, after she asks him, would you redeem me, marry me? He goes, yeah, but let's find out about this guy first. He says, go back to sleep here. Stay right here till it's, you know, it's the end of darkness, light's coming up. Don't go home right now. Why? Because it's not safe. It's not safe for this single young woman to walk in the dark home. Something bad could happen to her. So he says, stay here. But he also says, right before sunup, while it's still dark, you get up, and that's when you go home so that no one knows you will hear. What's he doing? He's a protector. First off, he's protecting her life on the first part of it. The second thing, he's protecting her reputation. Isn't that great? I like that about him. He's protecting her life, and he's protecting her reputation. It's very important because she's worked hard on her reputation. He's going to keep her reputation intact. He carries a good reputation, likes, likes attract likes. Now, let me show you something on this last thought right here. And you don't, we're not going to come back to Ruth. Let's go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it in the King James. I read out of New American Standard, but I'm going to say it in the King James Version. And in King James Version, uh, I'll read mine, but then I'll, I'll say it. It says, <clears throat> mine says, abstain from every form of evil. Uh, King James says it better. Avoid all appearances of evil. What does that mean? It means this. Even if you're not doing wrong, it might look wrong, and you want to avoid that because it could destroy your reputation. Even if you're not doing wrong, it could look wrong, and thus destroy your reputation. Avoid all appearances of evil. Let me tell you, tell you one that I practice. If I ever wanted to buy a pack of gum, or a can of soda or a bottle of soda, I, and, and I'm anywhere within you know 30 miles of Corona or wherever where I live here, I don't walk into a liquor store. I just don't do it. Because walking out of that liquor store, and let's say the stuff I have is in a, you know, say it's a can of soda, they put it in a bag. What are people going to, if somebody says, what's he doing coming out of there? He's got a bag with the bottle. What, what's he doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. I got a Coca-Cola or whatever in there or got a pack of gum. But it could look wrong. And people could assume things. And I don't want that to happen in my life. Now, if I'm far away from town, I go in to get a pack of gum and liquor. Doesn't matter. Nobody knows me there, so my reputation's not at stake out there, and I'm just going to get gum. I remember I, I, I recycle. I, I'm the I'm one of my little pet peeves is I cannot see plastic or aluminum thrown in the trash and wait 200 years to, for it to biodegrade. It's just so I recycle, and once a year I take all my recycling in. And one time I took it in to a certain place, and uh, they set the amount that I get, gave me the the little receipt they said and I thought they're gonna pay me there and they said no, you go into the into there to get your money it was a liquor store I oh no I remember this is a dilemma I thought can I pay somebody outside five bucks to go and get my money and then they get out the, they leave out the back with all my money 
I said, okay, I got to go in and get it. Man, I remember walking in there. I didn't want to walk in. I walked in there. I gave the thing, put my hat down over my face, you know, the whole thing, sunglasses. But, no, I didn't do all that, but I had a hat on. I got my money, and I got out of there. I never came back to that particular recycling, even though they paid a little bit more. <laughs> because my reputation's important. I'm not doing anything wrong, but my reputation's important. And guess what? So is yours. So is yours. And I would just say you as a single person, dating, relation, whatever, avoid all appearances of evil. You may not be doing anything wrong, but it may look wrong. It may look wrong. And you want to keep your reputation intact. You don't want to cut corners. You don't want to do anything like that. And they kept their reputations intact. A mighty woman of valor, a mighty man of valor, likes attract likes. And as we progress, we're going to find out who bachelor number one is and how that all turns out. So I hope this blessed you today. We're finished and uh, we'll see you next time. Remember to share it with others. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.